Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me today are Jeff Ranke and Anna Wells. We each have about 15 years of experience covering the manufacturing industry. Each week, we take the five most popular stories on our website and discuss the implications they might have on the industry going forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, David, or Anna at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. Anna, how are we doing this week? Good. I'm glad to have you back. You are better at hosting than I am, even though I put up a good front. I thought you did a great job. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. I'm, I'm not born to host this game show like you are. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. You know, I got to, uh, you know, as I was completely lifeless, I listened to the podcast and, you know, I missed it. It was, uh, you know, even though I was physically incapable of even like standing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised to hear Anna say she's okay stepping back because last week she was enthused and energized by the power. Oh yeah. Control a lot of that. that I she did, had over yeah. The I did talk mm-hmm. a lot of game last week, but yeah. it was all a front. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Jeff, how are you doing this week? Excellent. How about yourself? Feeling a lot better. Glad you're feeling better. Yeah. <laughs> Still a lot lighter. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, before we get started, we wanted to thank our sponsor, Oil Eater. Oil eater cleaners and heavy-duty degreaser were specifically designed to replace dangerous solvents that are used by industries throughout the world. The company's ultra-concentrated formulas are perfect for light, medium, or heavy cleaning and can be used with parts washers, shop floors, equipment, and more. Click the link below for a free sample or visit IEN.com backslash oil eater. Get yourself a free sample from the Today in Manufacturing podcast. All right, let's jump into our first story this week. Tesla quietly cut steering component amid chip shortage. In January, Tesla bragged that its 2021 deliveries were up by about 87%. While other automakers struggled with production due to the chip shortage, Tesla had a secret recipe for success. The company took chips from a steering component they determined to be redundant and used them elsewhere. The chips are for a secondary electronic control unit that serves as a backup for the mechanical process used to steer. No big deal unless the car is going to drive itself. If not now, soon. Well, Elon Musk says Tesla is on the verge of achieving full self-driving. But for any customers missing the ECU, they'll need a retrofit. And they might not know who they are. Tesla engineers decided to keep the public in the dark since they didn't, uh, they didn't think that it posed a functionality or safety risk. So Anna, did the customers need to know? Well, I think there's a, a few issues in play here. Yeah, I mean, whether it should have been disclosed, like clearly the reason you disclose the engineering change is because it relates to self-driving and these vehicles' ability to be updated over the air, right? Mm-hmm. So... I think where it gets murky is when you're public and these things you say on these earnings calls actually matter, like him saying, I think we're going to be able to, you know, roll out the self-driving functionality by the end of the year. It's an over the air uh, update. Like, I mean, he knew though that they took these out. Right. So like, it's, that's where I feel like it gets, I don't know, maybe legally or sec weird, but I don't know enough Mm -hmm. about that uh, to say what happens. It never really bothers him much. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I think overall, like the the plan was smart. Um, I think mm-hmm. it enabled Tesla to kind of ride out this chip shortage in a much more successful way than many of its competitors. Mm-hmm. 
Um, in fact, Verge reported over the summer that Elon had admitted on an earlier earnings call that Tesla had been swapping out firmware and then rewriting its software over a matter of weeks. Mm-hmm. And while this is kind of unorthodox, um, that's the Tesla way to be unorthodox, right? And to be nimble and to make changes and as they go. Yeah. Like this article that we sourced for the video kind of speaks to how long the change process typically is in automotive. And one of the analysts they interviewed said that it usually takes an like an auto company a thousand hours of testing and mm. review before they would make this type of change. Mm-hmm. But even though that's precedent, um, you can see why Tesla was kind of confident making this change. They said that they had sort of done this before. Mm-hmm. Um you know, run the steering column with just one of the the chips. And so they didn't think that there was a safety or a, or a performance issue that was going to take place there. So I think, I don't know, like, does it show that maybe the other automakers are being a little bit slow and stodgy on some of this stuff? Maybe. Mm-hmm. But if you already don't trust Tesla, then I don't think this helps you like run towards yeah. that model doesn't X. doesn't give you any more peace of mind. No, it doesn't. But, but for other people, they might not see the yeah. risk, you know? Yeah. Jeff, it actually, this uh, move kind of reminded me of, of what we were talking about with other automakers a couple of weeks ago about how it seems like they're selling almost like pre-recalled videos or videos, uh, vehicles, where it's just like, yeah, I can't do this now, but once we have the yeah. part, we're going to yeah. add it and then it's yours. Just buy it now. Yeah. I mean, they do need to disclose this, especially mm-hmm. because he's been such a champion of this autonomous vehicle operation mm-hmm. and, and that mm-hmm. type of functionality made big promises about that coming this year or by the end of this year, which is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So he does need to be forthcoming there. In comparing this to what other automakers are currently doing, there's a great spot right in the middle. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you probably can move more nimbly than the GMs and Fords and Toyotas of the world. Yeah. But you also need to be transparent with what you're doing because, you know, we're putting people into these vehicles. Right. This isn't just a roller coaster car. This is something that you're operating on the vehicle. People need to know about. Yeah. Okay. What it kind of reminded me of, this had a weird overlap of rewatching those Iron Man movies. Mm-hmm. And they did use Elon Musk as sort of a living model oh, yeah. of Tony Stark in these movies. And you watch him when he's putting together the Iron Man machine or um, suit, and he's kind of like throwing stuff out. Don't need that. Don't need this. Don't need that. You could almost see Musk almost in that <laughs> same sort of mode. You're like, yeah. hey, we don't have chips for this. That's all right. We'll just plug yeah. it in here. Yeah. Which, again, good call. Yeah. Getting more cars out there, it doesn't affect the overall functionality in terms from a safety perspective and all that, Mm -hmm. but you do have to tell people what's going on. Just because you're the smartest guy in the room, that's not always good enough. Yeah. No, I completely agree that, you know, Tesla customers are buying these cars with the understanding that autopilot's going to be a thing. And Mm -hmm. so while it's not perfect now, it is going to be a possibility in the future, especially, and it's going to be something that's enabled with one of Tesla's over-the-air software updates. But, I mean, you need to know, like, all of a sudden, everyone's autopilot is being turned on, and it's just like, "Sorry, guys." Uh, <laughs> turns out there's a handful yeah. of you guys from the uh, that pandemic. You're not gonna get it. We sold you brick autopilot. Yeah, and I mean, it's. I was just, I was kind of astonished with the amount of SpaceX and Tesla uh, news that we saw come out this week. Uh, SpaceX had the satellites flying out, fl- falling out of the sky, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. Um, but also accusations of racial discrimination and other recalls for Tesla. It's fourth recall in just two weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tesla has had a couple of, you know, uh, bad news cycles, although, you know, they also talked about how they made record profits last year. But uh, the other thing that I thought was m- more uh, interesting is that I'm not sure if the strategy is going to play into it. 
but they plan to make 50% more vehicles this year, mm-hmm. but they're all going to be the same. No new models in 2022. So Anna and Jeff, that means no Cybertruck this year, mm-hmm. no small EV. That's, you know, that $25,000 price point that he keeps talking about. But anytime he has these calls, he's just like, oh, it's coming. It's coming. Just yeah. not this year. The eternal optimist. Well, and he's he's built some credibility in there because we were really hard on him, or at least I was, and a lot of stuff I was covering, talking about how they were losing money. Oh, yeah. For how many years? Just hemorrhaging hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, it turned out. Yeah. <laughs> it turned out okay. He he came through and, and everything's going well at Tesla. The recalls are concerning to me. Yeah. Because when you look at a story like this, where he basically is just saying, this will work. This will be fine. We'll just do it this way without maybe doing as much of the R&D or due diligence as mm-hmm. other automakers do. Mm-hmm. And although these those recalls that we talked about, they were, let's be honest, pretty minor. Yeah, minor mm-hmm. stuff, um, yeah. Not something even related to what we're talking about here with these chips. Still, it does bring in those quality concerns. And in a more competitive landscape, mm-hmm. that becomes a real factor. I think this year, uh, Tesla is going to struggle to maintain those same sales figures that they did in 2021. They're certainly not going to see the ridiculous percentage growth. Mm-hmm. But even to maintain... I think is going to be tough. Yeah. Well, it is like Tesla is something that personally as a consumer, I'm like right on the line as to like, I'm almost there in terms of, uh, you know, pulling the trigger on actually buying an, an EV or a Tesla. And it's just like something like this happens and it's just like, all right, we'll just take a couple of steps back. <laughs> you know, we're just going to wait till the steering chip comes back. Well, and like, you know, Jeff was talking about the recalls, like one of the biggest issues they took flack for over the last couple of months is because they were, issuing, um, you know, over the air software updates on minor issues, but they weren't disclosing them again. So it's like when you just pile on this lack of transparency, you kind of wonder if that at some point is going to start to erode, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people's trust in that brand. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Our fourth most popular story this week, abandoned Foxconn building finds new life. While anything Foxconn related in Wisconsin seems to come with a dark cloud, new jobs are coming to the state as a food coloring manufacturer has announced plans to take over an otherwise unused Foxconn building. Natural food coloring maker Oterra will move into the former Foxconn Opus building in Mount Pleasant, Wisconsin and create some 100 jobs. The building was erected in 2016. It was the first facility Foxconn occupied when it began developing a massive manufacturing campus. Foxconn abandoned the Opus building. Oterra will begin installing production equipment immediately with production starting in early 2024. Oterra makes food coloring for beverages, packaged foods, plant-based products, and pet food. So, Jeff, one thing I was curious about, do you think it's easier or harder to do business with Mount Pleasant after this Foxconn (laughs) fiasco? Great question. Well, you would hope they were very open to uh, Ontario coming in and doing what they needed to do or and to take over some of these buildings. I think before we, we were inevitably going to go down and talk about Foxconn and all the crap that happened there in Pleasant Prairie. Mm-hmm. Before we do that, I mean, let's recognize the fact that we've got a foreign business growing its presence in uh, in the U.S. Yeah. I think it's great. You know, congrats to Oterra. Also grateful to them to for all of the things they do to make like the beverages and baked snacks that I eat look much better than they probably do in their natural state. Yeah, thanks for making things other than brown. <clears throat> yeah, I'm sure the Gatorade does not naturally come out with that <laughs> lemon lime or or fruit punch color that I, I enjoy looking at and drinking. So thanks to them. <laughs> enjoy looking <laughs> That's um, what I love about Gatorade. I just enjoy looking at it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's so pretty. It makes it more palatable than if it was. <laughs> it's I'm sure natural color, which is not, you know, mountain berry blue or whatever. Oh, it's your, no, I mean you're right there. Like uh 
I am a fan of Pedialyte's in a pinch. And uh, when you drink it clear, but it's supposed to take taste grape, you're just like, I don't know. you know, yeah. there's some sort of disconnect yeah. in your head. Yeah. yeah. So. As a result of natural food coloring yeah. businesses. All Thanks. right, guys. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things too, so we have to I inevitably get to Foxconn and what it did to this area. One of the things that I'm going to be looking for is, did you hear about this book? Foxconn. Foxconn. Yeah. Imaginary Jobs, Bulldozed Homes, and Sacking of Local Government by Lawrence Tabak. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's really interesting. And when you look, because when you look at the Google map of where this business is mm-hmm. and everything around it, it's just bare. Gone. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. we're looking at 2,400 acres that were supposed to go into this Foxconn development. They've had buildings built on like 5% of that. Yeah. So you've just got all this vacant land right on the interstate. It's good to see some of it going to use. But- the, the hardest thing for me when I look at this is they knocked down 75 homes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and a lot using eminent domain. Yeah. Yeah. So you would hope, I mean, it's it's obviously not going to work out that way, but if we've got some jobs coming into the area, maybe they look mm-hmm. at squaring away these folks who lost their house over yeah. all these promises that were made. The other thing, looking into this more and more, who was at bigger fault here? The state of Wisconsin, the city of Pleasant Point, or Pleasant Prairie. Mm-hmm. I think basically, I mean, Foxconn at the end of the day, if this was... Taking away from the 10 billion, 13,000 job promises that came out of that. And it was what it ended up being, which is like 1,500 jobs. Yeah. And like, what is it, six or $800 million in development? Yeah, $672 million. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. That in and of right, itself a is project. a very positive yeah. thing. But in the scope of what we were promised, yeah, it's, it's horrible and it's a disappointment. Yeah. And in looking at some of this stuff, Really, I think the biggest people to blame are the municipalities, the state of oh, Wisconsin. Yeah. Foxconn basically probably said, well, you know, we'd be interested possibly in maybe doing some of that. Oh, if yeah. you want to give it to us, we'll probably do it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that they were as, as enthusiastic about those plans as they allowed the politicians at the moment to state. No, I, I agree. I definitely think that uh, the politicians in the state are most uh, most to blame in this situation. And that's why Anna, I was really interested, you know, if you're sitting on these planning commissions or on these boards in the town of Mount Pleasant and Otera comes saying they're going to do these things, I mean, there has to be at least one person that's always like, but really, are you? Because right now we just have a lot of vacant buildings that are, you know, roller rinks, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, but if you look back at like the Foxconn thing and all of the like completely over the top language and how that was being sold to the community. Oh yeah. Like president Trump, I think predicted that factory would be the eighth wonder of the world. I think was his, his wording and what a crash from the insane expectations that were built up, you know? And then if you look at like the tax breaks that were being offered, which was over $4 billion, Mm -hmm. the largest tax break package in history, I think from a state, I mean, it was just, and it was in, it, it was contentious when th- those yeah. incentives were approved, um, and then those this whole thing crashed and burned. So, like, obviously, people are justifiably angry. There were people that were angry about it before it even crashed and burned. Right. right? Yeah. But what was really interesting to me is like, so obviously, this left an imprint on us and the local community very much so because we were kind of front row for this, but. Um, it's funny to see how much this stuff still flies. Like oh, yeah. no one's doing the $4 billion thing, but we did run a story this week about the Kansas state legislature approving over four or sorry, over $1 billion in tax incentives 
for a company that's not been named and not just not revealed publicly, like the politicians involved yeah. in this, they don't know who the company no, is. Like a handful they, of them. Right? Yeah, yeah they, only they a couple of them. Yeah. NDA. Yeah. They, you're right. And then, but, but most of them don't know the company yeah, and right. they don't know what they produce. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I know that's not without precedent. People have done this before, approved incentives for companies that want to, you know, remain unnamed until everything goes through. But it's also not without like a tremendous amount of risk, in my opinion. I mean, I guess I'm surprised in this day and age where... There's so many regions right now that are so desperate to fill job openings that they already have that we're still doing this in such a way that doesn't apply, I think, enough due diligence to this process. Um, I mean, like, we know that a lot of regions are getting hamstrung or have over the years, almost to the point where they're being extorted by businesses who say, I want money to come. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, by the way, I need incentives to stay. If we want to expand, we need money for that. And on and on it goes. If ever there was a time to reform that process, maybe it's now mm-hmm. or at least to, you know, put some more uh, structure around it, yeah. I think. I don't know. It was very confusing to me that this kind of stuff is still going on because um, not only not only do, do a lot of these legislators not know who this company is or what they make, but like uh, how many times do we talk about facilities that are being put in somewhere and the whole community is in an uproar because they don't want that type of plant to be there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we don't know anything about this. So yeah. wh- why are we still making these extravagant promises to all these businesses? I think that some, something needs to be done to better that process. It's going to be opinion. some sort of massive animal rendering plant. <laughs> just just, like, I mean, it could be. I yeah. Don't. It's just, it needs to be to scale. Yeah. Again, looking yeah. at what Foxconn actually has done, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a win. Right. That's a positive, but that wouldn't have made headlines. Yeah. 13,000 jobs. Well, but that makes a headline and that's what gets people fired up both ways. That, I mean, that would have made headlines at least, I mean, maybe just on a local and regional level, maybe it wouldn't have been across like the national yeah. news, but it was like, what I, what I also found interesting is that this particular facility is where all the photo ops were, you know, whenever, when the president came to town and the governor was there and they were all standing, championing, championing this as the eighth wonder of the world. Uh, it was in front of this building that they didn't even really use and now have abandoned. And I just thought it was an interesting sort of uh, representation of what became of that entire project. Um, I did see the same uh, similarities in Kansas as you did, Anna, where they say it's the state's largest ever taxpayer funded incentives to attract thousands of new jobs. Mm-hmm. It's just like, well, we'll start, be careful with that language. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, I mean, yeah. everyone knows how to pull the right uh, levers and push the right buttons, but it's like being on the other side of that, it can get ugly. Like, uh, the, and I was surprised with how unanimously people voted for the package. Uh, the only uh, one of the people that said no to it was this Republican state senator, Molly Baumgartner, uh, who said, we want to buy these magic beans. We won't <laughs> tell you where it's going to be, what yeah. it's going to be, just that it's going to be great. And we, like, how many times are communities going to be sold magic beans? Mm-hmm. I mean, how old is Jack and the Beanstalk? Did people learn nothing? <laughs> Come on. It's <laughs> taught to kids is for a reason. No, it's uh, I mean, hopefully it pans out in Kansas. Well, and the, and the thing, too, I just want to throw in there. They're talking about tax benefits. And that was the big number around Foxconn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. According to the guy who wrote this book, um, Tayback, um, the city has spent over half a billion dollars just in infrastructure uh, upgrades and buying yeah. property. Oh, so yeah. it is, again, all this stuff is just waiting, mm-hmm. waiting to be used. It's not it's a big bare. city well, exactly either. Like 26,000 people. Where are they no, getting all that money? I think uh, – 
I think by 2035, that's when the big bill comes due that might bankrupt Mount Pleasant. I think they have until 2035 to really figure things out um, because they had to pay. One of the big things was the water, too. Right. They had to redirect all that water from Lake Michigan. They signed on a guaranteed deal with the utility to make that happen. And so that bill is going to come due in 2035. And I think that's going to be pretty, like, sooner than yeah, people think. You absolutely. Know? Yeah, I think I said Pleasant Prairie. It is Mount Pleasant. No, right? you said uh, you said Pleasant Points, and you were going <laughs> 70 show. I was like, you're going Point Pleasant. I'm just like, hello, Wisconsin! <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Our third most popular story this week. SpaceX satellites falling out of orbit after solar storms. Yeah, I said we'd get there. What fun is this world without a little fire in the sky? SpaceX recently launched a fleet of satellites. Unfortunately, they were hit by a solar storm, and now they're tumbling out of orbit. Up to 40 of the 49 small satellites launched last week have either re-entered the atmosphere and bur- or burned up. The culprit was a geomagnetic storm that made the atmosphere denser, which increased the drag on the Starlink satellites. All efforts to save, save the satellites have failed. SpaceX has nearly 2,000 Starlink satellites orbiting Earth to provide internet service to remote corners of the world. The satellites weigh less than 575 pounds, but still weigh 575 pounds, but they don't pose any risk in orbit or to the ground. Anna, your thoughts on SpaceX's latest highly public failure? Yeah, it was, you know, a very... How do you really feel? (laughs) You know, they go big or go home and... They went big and home on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Down in flames? Yeah, down in flames. Well, it was definitely a very sensational sounding headline. And then when you read deeper, you're like, oh, okay. (laughs) Right. So nothing happens? Okay. Yeah. Um, But I I think the most alarming part of it for me was that SpaceX described this as a unique situation, which isn't necessarily true. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I guess they made it to me is like they they're like, oops, I mean, what do we do? But like, <laughs> yeah. But if you look at like some of the response from the scientific community, like this was not actually a surprise to Tesla that this was happening. So I read this report in time that called these doomed uh, spacecraft and said that Tesla or uh, sorry, SpaceX was warned by scientists and instead ignored those warnings and chose to move forward with the launch despite the storm being predicted to impact those specific days. Mm-hmm. So SpaceX thought they knew better. They yes. thought they could ride it out and obviously they could not. And that's kind of what scares me the most because I think I have concerns with the idea that private business is sort of policing space right now. Yeah. Um, and space cops. Space cops. Space force. That's right. I don't know. It just seems to me like maybe they have less incentive to do the right thing when there's no regulation or requirement for them to do so. And we've, seen that before yeah. um on earth earth side <laughs> uh and it's not like nasa's running spacex you know what i yeah. mean like spacex has a board of directors that are like spacex investors elon mm. musk's brother he's on the board yeah <laughs> there's not he's i mean partial it's not like it's not like there's like a board of global stakeholders that care about the future of the human race like Mm-hmm. It just seems like another example of an Elon Musk led company. Yeah. Just kind of rolling the dice well, <laughs> on something that could have like a bigger impact. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, in this case, like we know that these satellites are going to burn up before they come down. There's yeah. not a lot of risk. But um, I don't know that. I mean, he sends rockets up like we know that a rocket booster of his is headed towards the moon yeah. in a couple of weeks. Like what happens when something happens? 
happens that they don't i mean that that could have a risk some oh, yeah. to people on earth or or maybe like t- even in space like what what if something hits the international space station like they need to be listening to scientists no, is I, my point well and you know the way you say that like scientists warn them and we're not talking about like a couple of guys in NASA, like in a room, just like, oh, my God, have you seen the numbers? This could be really bad. It was like the it was like the equivalent of like meteorologists being like, no, look at the radar. Yeah, it's all purple and red. It's a bad time to a lot like uh, try to uh, take off a plane right now. Yeah. You know, and it was just like they just didn't listen to it, Jeff. And as a result, lost 80 percent of their payload. Yeah. I mean, so these solar storms that took these satellites out, they're actually very common. Right. Yeah. Um, they, they occur very frequently. Right now, we're in a more aggressive part of the solar cycle, apparently. Yeah. So, yeah, it should not have been overly surprising to SpaceX if they were paying attention, like Anna said, to the scientists that this could possibly happen. I think this is going to happen more. I think we're going to see so much more of this happening. We're looking at the private sector global space launch sector being worth over $30 billion within the next couple of years. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's growing through the roof. It's not just SpaceX. There's a handful of other firms that are doing this, and we applaud this. Mm -hmm. We love all these low-orbit satellites because it improves our internet access. Mm -hmm. It helps us with our cell phone connections, all of that stuff. But based on where they are and with this whole solar cycle, a lot of these satellites are going to go down. The other thing is we had over 2,500 satellites launched in the last two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's somewhere between five and 8,000 of these satellites floating in low Earth orbit right now around our planet. So if you've got this aggressive cycle from the sun, you've got mm-hmm. more and more satellites going out there, <laughs> this sun. stuff is going to happen. Yeah, is yeah so it is because it's like uh, – it's flares from the sun that are that yes. cause this kind of disruption. No, I was just and, laughing because it just sounded like you were calling the sun rude. <laughs> <laughs> it's being right? very grumpy right know now. Know your role. You're in the way of progress, sun. Um, I mean, one thing that I just thought was like, you know, we've all been on flights where it's been canceled and the only feedback they give you is, it was an act of God. And you look outside and you're like, I, it doesn't look like an act of God. It looks mm-hmm. like everything's fine. And I just like a geomagnetic storm, that is a suitable act of God. <laughs> just like not much you can do about that one. no no and uh you know i also wanted to talk about starlink a little bit because it is a very cool and potentially incredible uh, pro- uh like project my, my family is on the starlink waiting list because there is no other way to our uh cottage is in such a remote area there's no mm-hmm. other way to get internet access so we're on a waiting list and they're just like, obviously it's going to be longer now. Yeah. (laughs) That was your satellite. Um, But the other thing was, how do you guys, do you have an interest in keeping the skies clean ish? Cause that's a big thing with people that we're going to throw all of this up there. And I mean, it already now, when you look up in the sky, you think you're looking at a beautiful starry night and then you realize like 80% of the stars are blinking. Yeah. Astronomers are not pleased with uh, the Starlink program. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, what's the trade-off? Yeah. When you're up at your cabin, what do you want? Oh, I don't want internet or less want, light pollution. This is a family argument. We don't need to drag into it. <laughs> no. But uh, but the majority of the family wants internet, so we're gonna get internet. Yeah. Um, again, I'm on board. No. Um. So, but I no like uh, he he's trying to restore communications to uh, what is it Tonga after the yeah. uh, volcano. Um. So. A lot of great things, particularly giving areas in more remote access that need access to the Internet, not just people with a second home in northern Wisconsin. Well, I guess if I'm looking at this, I would hope this the number, the quantity is mm-hmm. for right now. Yeah. Getting Starlink up and running, 
potentially the global positive impact is amazing. Ideally, as with this technology is allowed to evolve, you yeah. wouldn't need as many. Yeah. Or, or or you could make it like safer or not as much uh, light pollution. Have you guys ever gone outside and seen these when they fly over? No. Like uh, it is incredible. I was out uh, walking my dog and this lady is just losing it, like staring at the sky, screaming like we are under attack. She's just like, do you see it? Do you see it? And I just looked up and I'm just like, it's Starlink. You just acted like you I'm, did. I'm like, it's it's Starlink. Yes, it looks like that. And she's just like, what is that, man? I'm like, that's Starlink. It's it's everywhere. Just read. Google Starlink. That's what you're looking at. And she just like shuts down and walks home. And I, I haven't seen her since. She's like, this guy does not get it. Yeah. She's yeah. <laughs> like, they've already taken over his body, man. Exactly. Yeah. And I was surprised I didn't see it on Nextdoor. What would have happened if you'd have been like, I don't see anything? Yeah. There's nothing there. It's it's coming towards us. Probably nothing good for her. No. Nothing good. No. Sheeple. <laughs> what's 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 sheeple. What's sheeple a single person? Sh person? <laughs> Way to go, you sh person. I don't think that's gonna work. <laughs> I might not take off as much as sheeple. Uh, yeah. Just hashtag it, see what happens. All right. Our second most popular story this week. Verizon engineer dupes Granger out of nearly one million dollars. A 44-year-old a Verizon network engineer has been charged with committing about $1 million in fraud. Jeremy Elkins has been indicted on a number of charges, including wire fraud. The Ohio man allegedly used an old Verizon work order number to place multiple fake orders from WW Granger Incorporated. Granger provides tools and equipment for Verizon service vans. Elkins placed 46 unauthorized orders and personally picked up a majority of them. The equipment was worth about $936,000. He sold the products, though the DOJ doesn't say how, and used the proceeds to buy two boats and a motorcycle. He placed 20 more orders with Granger valued at $954,000, so he was at least getting smarter with bigger orders, but he never picked up the equipment. He also used the company card on hotels, restaurants, bars, pawn shops, and auction houses, and somehow Anna... Verizon only took a $24,000 loss on this. And I mean, of all the craziness happening here, there was yeah. a weapons charge too. Uh, I couldn't believe that Verizon was only like, you know, Verizon looks at it and they're just like, mm, that's kind of a write-off, you know? Yeah, if I had like a million dollars that I just basically found, I don't think I'm shopping at the pawn shop. Right? Get over to Zales. I mean, sometimes, a <laughs> you know, sales. you can't change the person. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he bought a boat. And he bought a couple boats and a motorcycle. He's like, I got some left. I'm going to go score some DVDs. I guess, yeah, I guess. Two bucks a piece. Right. Um, I guess my biggest question was why Granger was on the hook for these losses. I mean, he was an employee of Verizon at the time of mm -hmm. the orders, correct? Right. So Verizon's procurement process had enough holes in it that he was able to game the system. Like, how is that not Verizon's problem? Right. I Like, if my kid ordered $500 worth of toys... On Amazon, maybe Amazon works with me on that if I haven't already taken the toys and sold them. But like at that <laughs> yeah. point, I think they don't yeah. care, right? Like, yeah. so I don't know. It's weird, but like companies have their own purchasing processes. Some have like what the industry calls like Wild West procurement, mm -hmm. um, which just means that there's many approved buyers. And honestly, it's really hard um, for for buyers as it is for sellers to handle this, it's like this kind of scenario that reinforces why suppliers like Granger push customers to streamline their purchasing 
and consolidate their suppliers just because it's so much easier to track like fraud and loss. Yeah. And in this case, I guess I don't know why Granger would get dragged for this, but I mean, is it because like, uh, well, I was also, the equipment must not have thrown up any red flags. Like, I mean, he was obviously buying, uh, equipment that could be used on these Verizon network bands, but I thought it was, I was surprised Jeff that no red flags went up. Yeah, you know, kind of building off of what Anna was talking about there, one of the things that we always champion is more digitization of all of these processes, streamlining things so there's greater transparency, Mm -hmm. greater visibility. And in addition to operational aspects, supply chain aspects, it's for purchasing as well. I think one of the things that does come through, though, is in that process, the more streamlined it becomes, potentially the easier it is for bad actors to get in there and do stuff like this. Yeah. It's still unclear. We don't know a lot of the facts on how exactly Granger got screwed to this extent. Mm-hmm. There had to be something going on where basically the payment was going through Granger, but Verizon was not fulfilling that payment. I, yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. know exactly what was happening there. But it, it, in my mind, it sheds a greater light on all of these security issues that have really been highlighted more by the pandemic and brought into greater focus because they're happening more frequently now. Yeah. We talked about cybersecurity a ton, but fraud and purchasing fraud is a huge factor as well. I was looking at something from LexisNexis. They tracked things since the beginning of the pandemic, since March of 2020. Mm-hmm. They've seen e-commerce fraud increase by over 83%, retail fraud by over 60%, mm. financial services and lending both up over 40%. So as this becomes more of an issue, obviously mm-hmm. losing, in this case, almost a million dollars. Yeah, and almost two. Like, you know, yeah, right, yeah, you just didn't pick up the second one. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the opportunities, and it's not on Granger. You can't say, you can no. understand why they would not want to be more public about this. Mm-hmm. But potentially, they have an opportunity to say, look what happened to us. Mm-hmm. This could happen to you guys as well. Yeah. Here's how, here's one of our solutions, not giving away all the secret sauce. Yeah. But here's some of the ways that we can prevent this from happening as an industry. And those types of best practices potentially go a long way for suppliers, manufacturers, and anybody else looking to really integrate more digital payment processing. Yeah. And for me, it also spoke to make sure who has access to the company card. You know, (laughs) I'm I'm all about uh, people who are reforms, you know, having equal opportunity to get out, out there in the workforce. But I mean, he was a felon. He was a yeah, fellow. He, yeah. he, he had an access to the company card. And, you know, when he was caught, he had a gun on him. So, I mean, <laughs> maybe not the best character in the world, you know? Well, you got to think somehow that 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 account was obviously not, not intended for him. Yeah. Um, so, okay. But you're right. I mean, more security, more accountability for that kind yeah. of stuff. And when we initially uh, published the story, we didn't mention the note about how the DOJ didn't tell us how he turned the, this equipment, mm-hmm. like how where he right. sold it or how he turned it into, into these funds. Uh, we did reach out to the DOJ, but came up empty. Um, and I was, again, like I said, I was trying to think of how it didn't raise any red flags, especially like what is the gray market for this equipment? Exactly. That's I, the weird part. I like, can't imagine that he just put it on marketplace. It's very specific yeah. like applications for this stuff, like who's buying their Verizon truck parts from... Yeah. It reminds me of like I mean, some direct TV guy going rogue and trying to sell a bunch of dishes on Facebook. Just like, yeah, you know, uh, sorry, Jeff. I didn't mean to no, I was you. just going to say, I mean, Granger does sell a ton of stuff. Who knows yeah. what he could have bought? It was so. all gloves. Oh, well, gloves yeah. And PP. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Our most popular story this week, historic bridge to be dismantled for billionaires. Super yacht. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. 
Amazon founder Jeff Bezos commissioned the largest sailing yacht in the world. Yacht builder Oceano is making the 416-foot vessel at its shipyard in the Netherlands. Just up, just up river from the company is a historic bridge, and it turns out that it's too low to accommodate the 131-foot masts. So, to get the ship to the ocean, local officials have agreed to remove part of the 19th century bridge. Local officials said that they weighed their responsibility for the bridge against the economic impact of the ship's construction before deciding to temporarily dismantle part of the landmark. The city said the owner would cover the project's costs, but stopped short of saying how much it would cost. Gotta imagine that he had a little bit of extra income lying around. The bridge will be restored, and hey, a silver lining, Anna. It's going to create some jobs in the process. Now that is trickle-down economics. Wow. The billionaire's yacht is too big to make it to the ocean. It's a job creator. Yeah, I know. That's good. I'm glad. Uh, unfortunately for Jeff Bezos, he's a pretty easy scapegoat for a problem that's really not his fault. True. Um, <clears throat> but I think my conclusion on this is that once you reach billionaire status, there's so much resentment towards you from everyone else on Earth that um, anything you do that's not transparent, like philanthropy, is going to get criticized yeah and he's taken like a lot of hits for i mean obviously the space stuff i think the world sort of reacted with distaste when like mid-pandemic he and a bunch of other billionaires were like we're gonna go to space first (laughs) no i am no i am and uh I don't know. Just, I didn't know Jeff Bezos had such a deep voice. Yeah. Oh, he had a that speech was, coach. That was Richard Branson he had who started it. Oh, no, that he would have that yeah. really sexy accent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you love that Whoa. accent. Richard Branson has the soul of an angel, or the voice of an angel. Anyway. If David starts dyeing his hair and beard sort of a reddish tint, we may have to I, yeah, worry uh, blondish tint. Mm. Anyway, it was tone deaf, I thought, when they were doing that. Um, they're still doing it. Nobody really likes the, I don't know, it's a very ex- extravagant display. But I don't want to leave this topic without mentioning that Jeff Bezos is also responsible for, because if we're going to shade him, then we should shade him the most for this, mm-hmm. building a 500-foot-tall clock in the desert that is powered by the Earth's thermal cycles and will tell time for the next 10,000 years. The clock is designed to tick just once a year and chime once per millennium at an estimated cost of $42 million. What is this? It's a desert clock, David. I'm, I'm sorry. I had no idea. What is what is the utility of this? It's supposed to be able to tell time for... A clock that tells time? Forever. forever. Whoa. Yeah, oh, okay. forever. And um, it's powered. It, it doesn't require electricity. It's powered right. by the like... The 10,000-year clock. But um, I guess my point is like, don't try to understand the ultra wealthy. It's not worth it. Yeah. Like once you get to the billionaire level, something breaks in your brain. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, so... You know, he just Bezos just went through a divorce. You know, if you're a billionaire, is this is the sports car a four hundred and eighty five million dollar yacht? Well, Anna definitely put this in perspective for me because, yeah, something broke in his brain. That's if we just want to explain it that way. That's fine, because what kind of person learns that their yacht is too big for a bridge and is just like. Move the bridge. Take the bridge yeah, down. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, I'd be like, well, can we like. I don't know, scale back a little bit, make it a little bit longer instead of taller. I don't know. I like, I, mean, I like the reader that uh, suggested uh, using rockets to just lift it up and over. Oh, good idea. Is yeah. he going to run into this problem other places? 
I mean, oh, good point. Like, how's he going to get under any bridge? <laughs> Once you're in the ocean, <laughs> I mean, is I, that I guess, the thing? Like, yeah. you can't go to. He's just got to be out in the ocean. Is that you why you just it's can't dock anywhere? <laughs> just, just, just keep her. Let's just set him out to sea and yeah. just forget about it. <laughs> he might be into that. <laughs> Maybe I just, man, like you said, something broke in his brain where any common sense or just even some part of being, I'd almost be like a little embarrassed, wouldn't you? If like this is getting headlines, and he this probably is probably is, yeah. Well, he could have fixed it. Because he didn't design the boat. So yeah. he, he probably just wrote a check in, was like, build it, and then has no idea what's yeah. happening. And then and then this, oh, another $10 million for fixing the bridge? All right. This whatever. occurs, and then they're probably, you know, he maybe didn't even suggest it. Probably this company is like, we have to figure out how to fix this problem because yeah. it's millions of dollars. He's retired. Yeah. What else do you have to do? Yeah. Well, I'm sure. Uh, he's on top of this. He's got the clock to worry about, <laughs> Jeff. I forgot. I forgot I'm sure about that making the, sure his geothermal power source is, <laughs> is still running. I'm sure the town's getting a little bit of a sweetener there as well. You know, mm-hmm. he's not just going to pay for the cost of the bridge, but, you know, there's going to be a, I'm sorry. Um, and free, pri- free prime membership yeah. for one year for the whole time. <laughs> Everyone in Rotterdam gets free prime. <laughs> You're not going to get the bridge back, though, because I like it. Um, you get the Lord of the Rings series first. <laughs> so I understand the whole super wealthy angle and the anger. And, you know, besides being pretty bad with logistics, this company, Oceano, does beautiful work. And I get, you know, it's not even it's 1% of the 1%er that are going to buy these super yachts. Yeah. But they are incredible. They have the ship that's called the Black Pearl and it is just beautiful. Um, so it was like. The, sometimes the design and engineering uh, in these super yachts, they are just gorgeous. And I don't want like if you see if you see photos of this boat, it is beautiful, even though it can't get to the ocean. Yeah. Uh, but this company does great work. Unfortunately, you know, bridge math isn't one of them. All right. I mean, just check out that website. bridge math. Yeah, it's a new one. <laughs> check out that website, but don't stay long because it's like. You have that initial excitement where it's like awesome, awesome, and then eventually you're sad because it's like, oh yeah, never. Yeah, I won't. Yeah, won't see that in real life. Okay. Yeah, not too many of those like media event invites on yachts, <laughs> but you know we'll get one. We'll get one. Yeah. Still thinking of the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. When his yacht stinks, sinks, oh. stinks, sinks. It's like he's too. Uh, he's got to get to the. Uh, I don't know where he's going. <laughs> Can't remember. <laughs> Quality ad, Monty. You bet. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, let's move on to In Case You Missed It. Uh, Stories that maybe weren't as popular on the website, but do stand to make a big impact on the industry going forward. Anna, what is your In Case You Missed It this week? Sure thing, David. Uh, Talent acquisition firm Lever says that 65% of surveyed Gen Zers, which are those workers born after 1997, who comprise the youngest segment of the workforce, have admitted that they plan to leave their jobs this year. That's 65%. (laughs) Two-thirds. So that compares to about 40% of the surveyed workforce overall. And the report said that 42% of Gen Z workers value a company that gives them a sense of purpose, which is something they rank higher than getting better pay. Yeah. Uh, Business Insider said that Gen Z has no qualms about quitting their crappy jobs in favor of a better one. Cool. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I thought this I picked the story because I think it's a good reminder um, that addressing the talent shortage right now is not just about raising wages. Yeah. Uh, For industrial businesses, I think that there's a big opportunity to work on culture and Mm -hmm. kind of find the meaning in what you do and maybe promote that a little bit better. Like if you think about how many manufacturers sort of banded together um, and pivoted at the beginning of the pandemic to like make PPE or 
ventilator parts. Um, I mean, that was like a really sort of let's all as a community try to fix this situation that I think was for being a tough time was sort of heartwarming to see the manufacturing industry doing that. Um, you know, or even just running around the clock to support critical industries or workers, right? So um, it sounds like there's this entire generation of workers who want to hear what you have to say mm-hmm. about that. And I think it's time that manufacturers start working more on that messaging because pay and benefits go a long way. But I think, you know, how can you tip the scales toward your business by using a narrative that somebody can get behind? Like, yeah. do your products have a safety component? Do they have a sustainability benefit? Um, you know, talk about that in your recruiting process. Talk about why people want to be there. Yeah. I think that's another way that people can kind of skin this cat as opposed to just saying like, oh, we can't afford to w- raise our wages or this is the benefits that we have and nobody wants this. Or we can't offer flexibility, which is what manufacturers say a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big thing that that these younger generations want. Um, so you can't offer flexibility. Fine. Try to offer maybe a better message. I don't know. No, I I do think that uh, I've seen a lot of positive movement with companies that are trying to create a better sense of community mm-hmm. uh, in the culture. There's a lot more of events happening in-house. And you're right. Like, uh if they are doing something more sustainable, if their products are, you know, maybe inform them a little bit more about how their products are being used. Yeah. Um, when I was in, uh, when I was in manufacturing, we made a lot of products that went into the uh, dental industry. And I mean, it was, it's odd, but like knowing that it's going into something that people are using medically, yeah. uh, it made the job as a quality control sorter that much easier, even though that job was terrible. It's like, okay, this is going to be used whenever somebody needs dental surgery. Uh, even though I need to look at 5,000 parts of these de- a day, otherwise I'm a failure. Um, so no, I completely agree. Uh, the other thing, Jeff, that I was thinking about this story is that I think people need to be more, more discerning as to what they want to do in a career path. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people sometimes fall into a job or do something that works. And then all of a sudden, uh, they're halfway through and they're upset with their career path. You know, find something that makes you happy. Make, surround yourself with people, you know, that make yeah. it easier to go to work. I, we talked to so many people uh, that are just hourly workers or non-salaried employees that are just kind of doing their job and it's not making them happy. It, it doesn't have to be work. It can also be a source of enjoyment in your life. I mean, if you're lucky, yeah, yeah. you do find that. It's not always going to be the case. True. I think regardless of... How you feel about those attitudes and those beliefs in terms of the different generations and how they approach their jobs and their careers, things have changed. Mm-hmm. And we need to, evolve. that message needs to evolve with those changes. Yeah. It's really irrelevant how you personally feel about that. If you want to get the best possible individuals into your company to get the best possible work done, you need to shift and you need to compete differently. It's not just about pay and benefits anymore. It's about reinforcing that they are having an impact and making a difference. If that's what you need to do, do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. And it's, you know, I was, Jeff, I was expecting the whole, just like, they just need to get to work. I know. Well, I thought they you were going to tell people to I suck it to up. Avoid that by just saying it really doesn't matter. Yeah. You're not supposed to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> You're supposed to be productive. <laughs> Jeff Ranky. That was him. Uh, Again, that voice. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. An uncanny impression. All right. My, in case you missed it this week, was partially inspired by the thumbnail created by producer Alex uh, for the video. So if you haven't had a chance to check out Liquid Metal Enables Shape-Shifting Drone, or actually the Black Hawk helicopter making a first autonomous flight for engineering by design this week, 
I highly recommend that you check it out because Alex had a little bit of fun with the Photoshop this week. So you're basically promoting a photo of you? No, no, no. I'm promoting art by oh, our producer, okay. Alex, that I happen to be in. So oh, did okay. Alex yeah. take an existing photo of you at medieval times and then Photoshop yeah. it into a field? I thought that- he only had the photos of me in chain mail. It turns <laughs> out that he had the full suit. Nice. Yeah. Oh, that was the red <clears throat> sword, though. I wish it was the blue sword with mm-hmm. the skulls. Now, this story is actually pretty cool, too, because it's researchers from Virginia Tech have created a new shape-shifting soft robot that uses metal, rubber, and temperature to morph materials and then set them in place without any mechanical components. It has a low melting point alloy embedded inside a rubber skin, and when you stretch it, it holds the shape, and then you can heat it up to liquefy the metal to return it back to its original shape. And we're not talking a lot of it, about a lot of heat, about 60 degrees C. I think it's 140 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, what's cool is that you can integrate different components into the material to create robots that serve various purposes. So, for example, in tests, a robot outfitted with motors, wheels, and propellers was shaped into a mini flying car that drives onto a pad, which heats it, flattens it under the heat, and then it reshapes as a quadcopter, lifts off, and takes off. What? Yes, it is awesome. And now we talk about how flying what, cars and everything. What size is it? It's a prototype. <laughs> no, I'm not bashing. Oh, yeah, I'm just no. saying, like, is it, I mean, is it the size of, like your laptop? No, no, no. It? It's we. Yeah. It's we. You're going to hold it in the palm of your hand right now okay. because it is just this like mesh material that's like a proof of concept. Um, and I was taught, I was, it made me think about how we see these flying cars and it's like a very mechanical, uh, transformation from you know plane to mm-hmm. car and it's you know it looks like you know the uh secondhand transformers that used to be on the market gobots the gobots are yeah even the ones that you would get from like the dollar store yeah. were like sort of transform but kind of break apart um this is kind of cool because how like it melts and then resolidifies into a new material uh it just opens up a lot of cool applications another thing that they showed is uh they turned it into a submarine uh, so it was able to reshape, go to the bottom of this tank, collect some rocks from the bottom of the tank, mm-hmm. uh, reclose it, and then bring it back. Um, you know, again, I like looking at this early re- uh, research that are is at the early stages because I like to think of what it could be. I mean, of course, I'm not thinking that we're going to have morphing flying cars anytime soon, but it makes you think a little bit beyond the capabilities of putting, you know, wings on a car. So is this more Transformers or Terminator? Because when you started like having oh, metal yeah. shifting yeah. spaces. Only two options. Uh, I guess it's more Terminator than Transformers because the whole idea is that it could, and also it can be like a self-healing metal. So it's like the way that it is, like uh, if you were to break a part of it, the metal endoskeleton inside the uh, rubber, when you melt it back down, kind of like T-1000, yeah. it would uh, reform or uh, it would go back together for the next time it became a quadcopter. Is there any artificial intelligence component of this? Not yet. Okay. Don't do that. <laughs> oh, God. And, and I'm cool with this because, yeah, the technology is amazing. But the moment it can start thinking for itself, that's where we get in trouble. We actually, so we jumped the gun. Uh, we had one uh, person watching us live, Nolan, uh, who asked, Isn't, is anyone getting T2 vibes from this? Uh, yes, specifically T2 vibes. Um, the other thing, the one, okay. So one thing the researchers came out and said uh, that I didn't get was how this liquefied metal reconstituting into different shapes could be used as a wearable. And so I guess I was thinking Whoa. like, 
almost like Colossus where, you know, you're going into something and all of a sudden like the heat from your body or like you could activate it and it would turn metal, you know, and otherwise be loose. Yeah, and, that seems like the first thing. Well, no, yeah. like when you think of a, a wearable, what the are you going to need? What are you going to need like a metal wearable for? I know, like you need like one of those little torches that you can just. <laughs> yeah, it's I, it's uh Yeah, it's crazy. So uh, I, that's where the armor thumbnail came in mm-hmm. to play was I was just like, oh, man, you could have a T-shirt made out of this material and then you would activate it and turn it into metal. Yeah. And that would be awesome for like. A flash like that, uh, what was it, the hypercolor stuff that would change colors when you were sweating back mm-hmm. in the day? Yeah. You know how that worked like three times and then it just turned like that weird green? I mean, same. There you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jeff, what is your in case you missed it this week? So lately we've been running, we've had a couple of different stories. Well, actually a lot dealing with plastics and recycling. And I've actually become a lot more informed on this. I was definitely the guy who anything plastic just went into the recycle bin. Yeah. So- it's interesting, some of the stuff that's coming out now. One of the stories that, I, that caught my eye is chemists developing an easier, more profitable way to recycle plastic. So basically, a lot of these plastics, because they can't be recycled, that's how they get into the groundwater. That's mm-hmm. how they make their way to the ocean. Or they're basically downcycled for stuff like carpet mm-hmm. and other things like that. So not a huge impact, better than going in the ocean, but still... Not the best use potentially. So basically a group of scientists in a, at North Carolina, I'm not going to get into the science because it is way above my understanding. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they have developed a way where they can take a lot of these plastics that could not otherwise be recycled and form them through a chemical re- reaction into really useful things. A lot of things they're developing right now are packaging materials, mm-hmm. but they're more durable. They're a higher level plastic. So as opposed to going into the waste stream. Yeah. They're being put to practical use. And as we look at plastics becoming, number one, more and more prevalent in terms of use because they're less expensive, they're lighter weight, all that good stuff, and we just don't have a place to put them, stories like this make me feel a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Things. Yeah. Like yeah. they could find another life. Uh, that's and not real, just like the uh, the person that was like making handbags out of like, you know, exactly. plastic garbage. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, you were um, not here this day, but earlier this week, Eric busted me fishing stuff out of the recycling <laughs> that was not recyclable though. And so, and I was like, like uh sounding off like a the super batty old lady, like you can't well, recycle a tea bag. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Who was recycling a tea bag? I don't, someone that we work with daily. Mm-hmm. Ooh, call them out. Mm-hmm. Call them out. Let's find no, out. Ever since we did that story on wish cycling. Yeah. Yeah. Again, kind of opened my eyes. I was not intentionally just like throwing everything in the recycle bin. Yeah. But the more you understand what actually can be broken down, I mean, well, better. <laughs> no, totally. I agree. And what's crazy is like, and California is like the first state to like, do something about this, but like a lot of plastic company manufacturers, they put the, the three arrows thing, the triangle on there, um, which is just sort of like kind of a feel good. Like this is made out of plastic, but like it's not always recyclable, but people see that and they think it is recyclable and it's not their fault that they don't know that. You know what I mean? I think that, so California is like, this is deceptive. It's just marketing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But to, you know, my point, I guess is like, there's a lot of, like, I don't know, they call it like greenwashing, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Going yeah. on where people think they're doing the right thing. And then, in fact, they're putting stuff in the recycling that's not not yeah. recyclable. Yeah, making it worse. It's not yeah. their fault. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, 
That is a, I, I thought it was a particularly interesting story too, because like you said, anytime they can uh, reuse old components that stay out of the waste stream, like you said, I think it's, we need more of it. Yeah. We need yeah, more of it. Exactly. And uh, we'll get to the bottom of this tea bag bandit. Um, <laughs> tea I mean, bag. we have, we have like, a coffee can for compostable material. Yeah. Just toss it in the can. There was styrofoam in there and mm. a tea bag. <laughs> My goodness. I'm sorry. I didn't get to see the anger. Just like. <sighs> it wasn't. It was more just, you know. Let's be better. Yeah. yeah do better. Yeah. You should have. I just. Come on You should have just. Yeah. In everyone's face until you found the culprit. Like, is this your tea bag? I just. You just dumped it, it on it Tom's desk. Mm-hmm. That would have gone well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to final thoughts. Uh, Anna, before we get out of here, is there a final thought that you have for the listeners? Uh, I want to thank um, our listener, Chuck, for sending me a cool email about static electricity. Again, I've gotten so much support from our audience about this topic, <laughs> and I appreciate that. Um, uh, but I also want to apologize to Jeff for last week saying that his trivia game had jumped the shark. <laughs> I was speaking out of frustration because of the walnut answer in your question just threw me off a little bit but um i think the audience is loving it let's keep keep it up i don't i didn't mean <laughs> to you, discourage Anna. you Thank i you. shouldn't have said it oh uh, i feel nice. better now yeah oh, that's good. Okay. carrying that weight that's, around all week. all week that's how apologies work everyone the whole world there you go <laughs> see how that works where something bad happens and you say you're sorry and then both parties feel better it's really the timeless classic. Is there something you need to say that's more specific? <laughs> no, 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 no. There's nothing I so need red? to say, guys. Nothing I need. No, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. If you oh. want to apologize for putting that tea bag in the recycling, oh no, you can. That's you know, I went through the tea phase a couple of years ago, and it just wasn't for me. It was, <laughs> it's easier to not drink coffee than it is to drink tea. Um, I wanted to really. I yeah, completely agree. Just give me water. Uh, you completely agree with yourself? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it's simple. It's a simple argument. <laughs> I was already oh, agreeing with right. you for agreeing with me. I just oh. didn't let you get oh, okay. there. Um, Thanks for letting me agree with you. I also wanted to thank uh, people that reached out when I was sick last week. Uh, thank you for the well wishes. It was terrible, but <laughs> uh, we're on the other side now and everything's better. Uh, the other thing is that uh, as a result of the success of the trivia, um, the trivia game, you know, uh, we've been giving out a lot of shirts um, and I was just interested if maybe it's time to switch it up in terms of like today manufacturing swag. Oh, so yeah. If anyone has ideas, I was thinking like maybe hats or coffee cups. Ooh, stress like balls. Stress ball. Wow. Immediate veto. Let's uh, just, let's just, <laughs> dude, let's just get Anna a stress ball. She yeah, right? seemed to really be on I that. need just one. Sitting at her like desk clenching those hand yeah. uh, exercise. Um, so if there's anything in particular that, especially the people that are repeatedly winning, uh, you know, if you're in a cold climate and you want a hat, or if you would prefer like a coffee mug, I, I guess we're open to ideas cause we're, yeah. uh, looking to looking, looking at, uh, opening the purse strings a little bit. Um, Jeff, what's your final thought here before I get to trivia? Oh, okay. Um, just wanted to do a shout out. We've actually had a chance to work with a lot of cool people, organizations, including I think each of us have at one point in time worked with a different manufacturing extension partnership mm-hmm. oh, yeah. around the country. We've got a really good one here in Wisconsin um, through a colleague of ours. Um, yep. I actually been in touch with the folks out of the New Jersey map and just wanted to kind of give them a shout out next week, February 21st through the 25th. They're celebrating engineering week. So we invite you to go to njmep.com. They're going to be doing some stuff, talking at some of their members who are going to be sharing their stories about working in the modern manufacturing industry, 
Um, we're also going to do some stuff on manufacturing.net to help spread the word about opportunities that manufacturing offers, looking at stuff about how we're breaking down outdated stigmas, um, highlighting alternate educational and career paths. So just some cool stuff that the New Jersey map is doing. And we're working with them to, to kind of get the word out. So is that, is it engineering week just in New Jersey or is like next week engineer or is that week engineering week? They're celebrating engineering week. So I don't think they're going to not allow us to do it. Yeah. No, I, 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 uh, I really, appreciate the work that the MEPs do. They are a real resource, particularly mm-hmm. for small and mid-sized manufacturers. Yeah. Um, and what's up, Kurt? How you doing? That's yeah. our mutual friend. Yeah, I'm in touch with Mike Womack out there. They're also going to be celebrating the Year of Women in Manufacturing in 2022 by highlighting women manufacturing business leaders and giving them a platform to be role models, encouraging more young women to explore modern manufacturing as a career path. So just some really cool stuff they're doing. Yeah. Wanted to give them a shout out and uh, encourage everybody to check out. Yeah, definitely That's awesome. do that. That's really cool. Now, mm. <laughs> now. <laughs> to, to what everybody's doing. And it has been really cool. You guys are saying we get a ton of feedback on the trivia questions. People just kind of like participating, having fun with it. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. For those who are interested, um, we had a like even more people actually respond to this one. The correct answer in terms of when using a hammer, the thing you should never do, you should never hit another hammer mm-hmm. with a hammer. Mm-hmm. Why not, David? I would assume because it would shatter or maybe spark or just be generally unsafe. <laughs> All of the above. Yeah, I thought I was thinking more about sparking, but yeah, it's actually more the chipping. Oh, um, you okay. have to worry about different mm. grades of steel on the hammers. And yeah, it could definitely be a chipping concern. So congratulations, everybody, that we did send out some more shirts. Oh, cool. Also, we've got a scoreboard update. Marina is up to six in a row. Whoa. Ooh. Mark at three and Kyle at two. Oh. So she's got I, some competition. Kyle's on the board. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? I could answer that question very confidently. <clears throat> when I heard you ask it uh, live last week, I, as a person who has smashed hammers together, <laughs> as a child, I know that's unsafe. <laughs> it was yes. just, it was one of those where uh, my dad didn't get mad. He just said, you learned a lesson, didn't you? Yeah. I did. Well, the other one is pounding nails and over. If you've ever actually attempted to do that, there is like a plethora of things that can go wrong. Yeah. So. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean. Definitely. Okay. Not a best practice, but not as unsafe as. Hitting two hammers together. Okay. But the walnut thing is fine, right? Oh, yeah. Just yeah. Keep, not a big, not a keep crushing those yeah. nuts. Just wear some safety glasses. <laughs> going to need that sound bite. Yeah. All right. All right. So this week. Now, I'm going to do this a little bit differently. To be honest, I am running out of good questions from the Wagner products oh, safety okay. trivia cards here. Okay. So if there is a different source, I'd be definitely open to hearing about it. So I'm going to – basically, this is a fill-in-the-blank question. Okay. Okay. So the first thing is I'm looking for is when it comes to fatal accidents, what fraction, so it could be one half, two thirds, five eighths, okay, mm-hmm. more occur in urban or rural areas. So in other words. So like what percentage <clears throat> yeah. occurs in urban or a rural era, area? Right. Okay. So which one, which area do they occur more in? Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. So blank of fatality, fatal accidents, mm-hmm. blank occurs in blank area. So what it could be one half of all fatal accidents occur in urban areas or oh. five eighths of all fatal accidents occur in rural areas. So you got a two parter. Got a two parter. We're going to make it a little bit tougher yeah. because people have been nailing these. We've been yeah. <laughs> so Those going to make it a little, little more interesting yeah. this week. Um, so what percentage rural versus urban when it comes to fatal accidents? Whoa. I have no idea. I don't even know where to start on that one. Mm-mm. No. Yeah. 
And right. I feel like no matter what I think the answer is, it winds up being some sort of ugly stereotype in my mind. I did get the area correct. I would not have guessed the percentage. Oh, okay. Okay. The, the fraction. So. All right. That's pretty good. Well, before we get out of here, I want to once again thank our sponsor, Oil Eater. Please make sure to click the link below or go to IEN.com backslash Oil Eater to get yourself a free sample of Oil Eater degreaser or cleaner, cleaner, or both. 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 Okay. Right on. <clears throat> All right. Well, for Jeff and Anna, I'm David Manti, and please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. And to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. You can also reach Andy at IEN.com, too. That's you so can awesome. always reach Andy. Always reach yep. out to Andy. You know what? Give him one of those digital hugs. He can do every <laughs> once in a while. And you can also subscribe to our daily and weekly newsletters. Make sure you get the podcast in your inbox first. All right, now... For Jeff and Anna, <laughs> I'm David Manti. This is the Today in Manufacturing podcast, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.